are, we teach through the Bible um, methodically, meaning we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us by starting a book and going right through it, trying to do our best to appreciate every bit of it. <laughs> the Bible actually says some scripture is inspired by God. <laughs> Please throw something at me if I ever say that. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. All scripture is breathed out by God. And, is, and you know what the big implication of that is? Therefore, it's profitable. Ah, why? God's the source. And what God says is significant. So I always think that if, if I at least read it clearly and slowly, I've accomplished something <laughs> worth listening to. But we're, we're plugging into a period of history where it's sort of like the middle years, a lot of meh going on in the lives of the people of God. Uh, change has not been happening fast enough. It seems like a lot of the same old, same old. And there's some major societal disappointments. Uh, one thing is they, they were all excited. They start, started building a temple the temple in Jerusalem. It was super exciting. After you know, living through, these people were all born in Babylon, by the way. They were born in ex- exile. Uh, but they knew that uh, the Babylonians uh, unleashed their horrible power uh, and smashed to smithereens Solomon's unbelievably gorgeous temple. Um, and it was just rubble for all these years, humiliating for the Jews, and, and also spiritually very, very defeating because if you look at what they were supposed to do for God, almost all of it has to do with the temple, the sacrifice, the priesthood. You know, daily sacrifices are supposed to be going on. They haven't been going on for, yay, so many years. Uh, again, for the people in the story, my, their whole lives, I will say my whole life, you know, it's been discouraging. Um, a lot of meh. Like, ah, oh, this, why isn't it easy, God? You know, why don't you just make it quick and fast and easy and solve all the problems? And, and so this, this is a book of encouragement. And it's not necessarily an encouragement to say, well, just hold on for a week or two and God's going to fix all the problems. A big part of the message is, the, the name Zechariah means God remembers, and I don't think that's accidental. Uh, it's saying that God knows what's going on, and furthermore, he is the sovereign Lord of everything that's going on. If you are a biblical believer, if you are not an atheist, and you believe in the Bible, you're a theist, you believe in God, who is in control He is God. He is the Lord. And the Bible is very clear that he is the Lord of all. He reigns now, even when it doesn't seem like he does. And what what does that call forth from us? Faith. The Bible says you live by faith, not by sight. Uh, And our whole life is faith in the word of God. And trust that he is God and he knows what he's doing. 
and we will uh, be saved by his grace and we trust his word. So we went through the eight visions and we finished the eighth one last week, which I tried to explain is kind of an interesting one because it's not even very clear exactly what's going on. There's these brass mountains. You know, sometimes brass means unresponsive. The heavens were of brass, uh, is an English expression, meaning I prayed and I didn't get the answer that I wanted right away. Uh, I don't, we don't know exactly what's going on with this vision. These heaven, uh, mountains of brass and four chariots come out and two of them go to the north, one of them goes to the south, and the th- uh, fourth one, we don't even know what happened to him, the red one. And it, they come out from the Lord of all the earth. He, and he's proclaimed to be the Lord of all the earth. Now, we're at the end of these visions. We move into um, an illustration. An act, this is actually kind of a drama. You could even write a nice little drama about this. I think it'd be interesting. It's, it's an action that Zechariah is called to do. It's no, no longer a, a vision. This is something he's supposed to go out and do uh, to teach people through an object les- lesson, a great object lesson, the crown. So let me read the word. This is from uh, Zechariah 6, 9 through 15. And the word of the Lord, it's significant in the text when you see the Lord written out like that, that's the name Yahweh. The word of Yahweh came to me. Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobiah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place And he shall build the temple of Yahweh. It is he who will build the temple of Yahweh. And shall bear royal honor. And shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of Yahweh, or the Lord, as a reminder to, and it's funny, there's just a different variation of the same guy's name, Heldai, is also like a nickname, is Helam. Uh, so it's the same three guys, plus a fourth guy. Uh, so this will be a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, and Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah, And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of Yahweh. And you shall know that Yahweh Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts, has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of 
Yahweh your God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, in your kindness and grace, would you give us all ears to hear what you are saying to each of us individually from this text of Scripture today. Help us to feel it, to understand it, and by your Spirit, Lord, apply it to our lives. Oh, Lord, thank you. Through Christ alone. Amen. Okay, the crown. So I've, this is a very interesting moment. Um, again, it's an action. Again, this is just the like command to do it. We just presume he went out and did this. Uh, let's just say he did. Uh, the word of the Lord comes to him. No longer a vision, but actual direct command. And he's to go to exiles. These are new Jewish folks who came back from Babylon. And uh, they're Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. And go the same day to Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. We don't know who that guy is. Uh, but apparently that's a good place to make a crown. Because uh, you're supposed to go there. And you take from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and... And here's the uh, really, really sketchy part. You're supposed to take this crown and put it on the high priest's head. Now, remember the doctrine in America we call the separation of church and state? Uh, well, they had that in this day, too. You had a king and you had a priest. The king would wear the crown. The priest would wear the turban thing we talked about a few weeks ago, remember? Um, it's, it's like grating that you, what? No, 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 don't put the crown on the priest's head. It's too much power condensed in one human being there. Uh, you're going to have abuse. You're going to have some big problems. It's uh, like, this is scary, sketchy. Don't do that. But see, there's something else going on, right? Uh, it's a picture of who Jesus Christ is. It's, it's a picture of Christ himself. It's not even talking about uh, Joshua, which, of course, by the way, is the name Jesus, right? Joshua. Um, that's probably a coincidence, uh, honestly. I mean, I don't think the text nearly intends it, but it's actually pretty cool if you think about it. <laughs> uh, go to Jesus and put this crown on his head, uh, the high priest. Uh, and and then, then he explains it to him in verse 12. Say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, you know, look at this, the priest here with this glittering crown on his head. Look at him. We're going to call him the branch. And we're going to open that up in a minute. And he shall branch out from his place. And he, he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. If, you, if the Bible repeats something, do you think it's important? Or do you think maybe just the author just forgot he just said that? <laughs> no, no, no. It's actually really important. So this is like a major idea. This branch individual who deserves to be high priest and king, he will build his temple. He doesn't need your help. <laughs> you don't have to fret and worry that this earthly temple is not complete yet. And it's a little bit smaller and it's not nearly as nice as Solomon's temple. That, that's just window dressing. That's completely insignificant because the Messiah is about building a temple now. <laughs> he, I, he said, I will build my church. I'm jumping way ahead because that's like, I'm not supposed to say that for another 10 minutes. 
<laughs> but so that's, that's what's going on here. He's going to build this temple. And he shall bear royal honor. And, and this is the revolting part. Again, if, if it's all just humans, if it's just Joshua, he will sit and rule on his throne? Yikes! That's uncomfortable. <laughs> no, priests aren't... First of all, they don't sit in the temple anyway, right? We're going to get to that too. But they're not supposed to sit and rule on a throne. What? There's no throne in the temple. See, all of this is pushing us toward the only explanation here. This is a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. This is where our true hope is. This is what causes us to have joy. Okay, so let's start at the top again. We've got these guys, and they're coming from Babylon. And they're, uh, I got to these, this is actually pictures of golden Babylonian era jewelry. They did have beautiful jewelry. A lot of it has survived. And um, yet I read the text again. It doesn't necessarily say jewelry, um, but it did remind me of what happened, right? What happened when the children of Israel left Egypt, remember? The Egyptians were so happy for them to leave. They, They were giving them gold and silver and jewelry, like, get out of here, please. These plagues are, well, yeah, literally killing us. So get out. And, and then, uh, sadly, uh, when Moses was up on the mountain getting the law of God, right, what happened? Aaron, the great leader, sadly said, well, you need something to worship. So it's really quite humorous in the text. I won't take time to get to it. We don't have a lot of time. But he says, I threw, it, I threw all this jewelry in the fire, God, and lo and behold, a beautiful golden cow came out of the fire. You know, how did that happen? I just don't know. Uh, ludicrous explanation. Uh, obviously, there was more going on there. Uh, so it's the same kind of feel. Jewelry taken from a place that held us in exile. Riches from that society. But these ones are not going to be used for a false and evil purpose. You know, These ones are going to be used as revelation of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That's really kind of exciting when you think about it. But it doesn't necessarily say jewelry. They might have just had money. Uh, this, of course, is uh, the Cougaron <laughs> and the Canadian gold coin, sort of anachronistic. But these are actual coins of gold and silver from that era. Again, obviously, some of them have survived. This is a little risky, but you know, just think here. The Jews went to Babylon, and, and a lot of them came out very rich. They were good businessmen. They were blessed by God. Uh, not to, you know, uh, read a prejudice in here, but the truth is Jews often rise to the top and do very, very well in cultures, right? And it's a part of the blessing of God on them, the part of the Abrahamic covenant. He says, wherever you go, you're going to be a blessing. And Jeremiah was a prophet uh, right before they went off to exile. And he said to them, uh, for he has sent us to Babylon. This is Jeremiah 29, 28. And this is what God said. Your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. So he told the Jews, where, where you're going, I want you to be a part of that culture, build houses, plant gardens, do business, 
And lo and behold, they're coming back to the Holy Land with riches. Riches. And there's a powerful verb, though, here. Did you notice? Again, the Bible said it twice. It's this verb, take. Took me like a whole bunch of readings to finally, that finally jumped out to me. You're supposed to go to this house. These guys got, they have all this wealth, whether it's gold, silver, bullion, or precious gems. We don't know. But you're supposed to what? Excuse me, uh, could we um, consider borrowing some of your money? You know, would you be so kind as to help God? God needs your help, and uh, he doesn't actually own that wealth. You do. So uh, would, would you please consider giving us a little offering? <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> Zechariah was empowered to go to these guys and take it. See, it says it twice. I, I looked this word up uh, in, in the Hebrew, and guess what? It means to take. <laughs> Remember that old song we used to sing as kids? The farmer takes a wife, the farmer takes a wife. It literally is used in that fashion in Hebrew. You take a wife. She's your, yours, and you're hers, by the way. And, and you know, you're appropriating her. You're, you're leaving your mother and father. It's a, it's a huge radical change forever and ever. Amen. You are, you're, you're a married individual. Um, and that's this word, take. And there was no idea that, well, we might give it back. No. God gave you these riches. And if he needs them, he will take them for his purposes. And there's an interesting, just think about that a little bit. Uh, think about how powerful that is. This is possibly a, another way to think about it. What has he given you for his use? What has he given you for his use? A, a lot of American Christians kind of have this backwards. We, we kind of think that we own everything. And then once in a while, we could help God out, you know, give him 3 or 4% or Maybe 10% uh, give. No, that's just God. Ha whatever you have, he has given to you. And it's at his disposal. And our attitude would, should be, Lord, you know, what should I keep for myself? <laughs> How much should I keep for me? Uh, he's given us talents and wealth and abilities, opportunities. He's given. He's put you in a certain place in life. Uh, to be used for his glory. Uh, this is from, um, I didn't write down the reference, I'm sorry. This is, oh, it's on there, good. Luke 16, 9. And, and I'm not going to fully teach this right now because it's pretty wild. But Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, make friends of yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He, he's saying, to in this parable he said when god has given us a, things he wants us to use it for his glory and utilize it and we you know unrighteous wealth he's not saying wealth that you achieved through cheating uh, but there's this uh, old feeling and it's true that the love of money is the root of all evil and in the if you used to read the old king james bible it says pastors should not be in love with filthy lucre. 
Remember that? Filthy lucre? That's, nobody remembers that. I, for some reason, I remember that. Uh, I googled it to make sure it's actually there. It is. Filthy lucre. And what is it talking about? It's talking about money is dirty. Um, and it, it can be used in such an evil way. So what Jesus says is, use what he's given you for his glory. And we can use it for eternal purposes. We can use it for revelation. We can use it for preaching the gospel as these guys get to do in this story. Okay, so, so what, what happens? Uh, they carefully build a crown. Head. He's the high priest with a crown on. And again, I, as I read through it a second time, that's jarring and inconsistent with the Hebrew culture and, and the Bible itself because God is going somewhere new and different. And he's saying, we're talking about Jesus Christ, our great high priest. That's what this is about. Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And I'd like to just look at what he says about Jesus uh, you know, we're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating this great gift. Look at, look at how it works out in, in the text of Scripture. First of all, verse 12. A, a lot of commentators love this, and it's so true. Behold the man. <laughs> Just pause there for a second. If, you're, if you love the Bible, you've heard that before. <laughs> Behold the man <laughs> was a part of the trial of Jesus. Behold the man. Jesus is the Son of Man. Look at him. Look at him at Christmas time. Think about a baby born. Uh, um, Shakespeare talks about the baby as mewling and puking in its mother's arms. Um, that's what babies do. Babies mule. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I think squirming around or something, okay? And, but puking, we know what that is. But this is Shakespeare, so I can quote it, okay? <laughs> Jesus is born as a man, a human being. He condescended, came down to save us. The marvel of marvels forever, forever and ever. We honestly... Through, through grace, through salvation in Christ, we'll go to heaven and we'll never understand that. And the coolest thing is, Jesus is a human being in a human body now. Fully God, fully man, and you'll be able to be in the same room with Jesus. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? It's, you know, it's really awesome to be in the same room with all of you. That's really cool, but, but in the same room with Jesus? We'll touch him, we'll see him, behold the man. Hallelujah. Behold the man whose name is the branch. His name is the branch. Now the Bible loves this. It uses this several times. Um, it's the whole idea. This is a little quote from Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of stump of Jesse who is the father of David the king. And the woodsman came and hacked it down. And it's, it's dying. It's dead. It's useless. It's, there's no more hope. But a, a shoot uh, comes coming up, comes shooting out from this dead stump. And that is Jesus. How unlikely. This green, 
growth, this cry of life and hope, but, but so uh, weak and so unlikely, like a baby mewling and puking in its mother's arms, so uh, surprising and so um, unlike the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But he is the branch. You can trust that he will come in power. He says, for he will branch out of his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Again, I already mentioned this because it's so much an exciting part of this text. Uh, He will build the temple. Jesus Christ will build his church. He is actively building his church. He uses us in the process. Like I said, let's take the word of God and hang it on somebody's door. Uh, let's, Let's let them be exposed to the gospel. But he's the one who brings salvation. He's the one that can change hearts. We can't. We pray. We should pray constantly uh, for those who need heart changes, starting with us. Uh, But here's three references for you on I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock. Peter had just said that you are the Christ, the Son of God. We think the rock is that confession of faith. Um, On this rock. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Beautiful, strong statement. And here's Hebrews 3.3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus is the builder. And then Ephesians 2.20-22 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, so in Christ Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is... um, A message of hope. A message of power. It's a message that God is at work. He is building his temple. And this earthly temple is not nearly as important as that one. It becomes an arrow that points to the temple of God. He shall bear royal honor. This is Christ. He is the king of kings. He shall sit and rule on his throne. This is Christ. Oh, the sitting. I already made reference to that real quick. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews Uh, I think it's chapter 10, real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. Moment of silence as we all turn there. Hebrews 10. uh, Yeah, let me just read a few verses here. This is starting at verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, this is saying Jesus Christ has come to do the will of the Father. Look, I've come to do your will. Verse 10. And by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body 
of Jesus Christ once for all. This is so potent. Jesus Christ was offered once for all, fully adequate salvation, uh, full and complete and sufficient in every way, not lacking, once for all. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service. The priest didn't have a chair in the temple. And they certainly didn't have a throne in the temple. But our high priest, he sits on his throne, ruling in the temple of God. Because the work is complete. You know, salvation is fully through Jesus Christ alone. You have faith in him. He's fully the Savior. And our dying breath should be, oh Lord, I thank you that Jesus is my Savior. I read carefully uh, a biography of, of George Washington, you know, great American man, you know, first, first in the hearts of his countrymen. Uh, but this biography was very careful about his final dying hours, and there was no mention of Christ at all. I, we don't think the man was actually a believer. He was a part of an Episcopal church, Christ Church. You can go visit the church in Alexandria, Virginia. But uh, his testimony is that he didn't really have faith in Jesus, uh, actually. Again, I'm no judge. I do not know. Uh, but very, I think it's very sad because a, a believer should say, Jesus is my Savior. I, I trust in him completely. And he is the full and sufficient, uh, um, infinite Savior. So gorgeous. Okay, every priest stands daily, verse 11, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time. See, there's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as dying with sin that I still have to pay for. I mean, again, we should be repenting of our sin constantly. But as soon as I die, I'm fully saved by Jesus. Because I never saved myself to begin with. Um, and that's what this is teaching. For see, Verse 14, 10, 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified, which tells us that we're, we're still in process, we're still sinners, but we're perfected for all time. You know, figure that out. That's a tough one. But that's our Savior. He's sitting and ruling, and the council of peace will be between them both. That's between the priest and the king. It's one individual. <laughs> He's the prince of peace, and there, there will be complete peace. There is complete peace in his rule. Now, we started with lighting the candle of joy today, and I want to end there. What, what is joy? First of all, a little Latin lesson. I know you guys are just like really excited to have a little Latin lesson right about now. I'm wearing a pink shirt, okay? I, I never wear pink except on this Sunday. I'm secure and I can wear pink once, once a year. <laughs> this is called, in Latin... Gaudete Sunday, uh, Gaudete Sunday, 
And Gaudete is the Latin. You already sang some Latin. Gloria in excelsis in eggshells uh, Deo. That's Latin. So you guys have all been singing in tongues today. Uh, we, we sing in tongues at FBC. <laughs> Gaudete Sunday. And here, here's the Latin. Gaudete Indomino Semper. What does that mean? Rejoice in the Lord always. And interim dico gadete. Again I say, rejoice. Hallelujah. It's a quote from Paul who did not speak Latin. Didn't, well, he might have spoke Latin, but he wrote in Greek. And that's a whole other story. <laughs> but it's, this is gadete Sunday. The candle of joy. The pink candle Joy is a part of our faith. We are to be people of joy. And I love this, rejoice in the Lord. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. The man just had such a great way. Great thinker, great writer, wrote a lot of interesting books. If you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia to your children, you know, start today. Uh, Really, it's so beautiful. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. All joy emphasizes our pilgrim status. That means we're, we're not quite there yet. We're passing through. It always reminds, beckons, awakens desire. Our best havings are waitings. We wait. We know Jesus is sitting on his throne with a crown. You know, And salvation is complete. It's awesome. It's forever. And yet, our experience is somewhat less than that at this time. You know, we're still here on earth, still made of dirt. And uh, I I think actually forever we'll be made of dirt, but that's another story. Um, But we're sinners, and we're we're subject to the sin of other people. And we we trust the Lord, and our joy is, is waiting and knowing that it's all true and it's coming to pass in the Lord's good time. Always reminds, beckons, awakens desire. It's good to have desire. You know, wait to open the present. Wait, wait. Don't open it early. Wait. It's good to have desire. God has made it so. And all of our best havings are wanting. And then finally, so I sum it up this way. Where is the joy? Joy comes from participation. You know, these guys who had the money taken from them, you think they regret it, you know? No, I don't think so. And they took that crown and put it in the temple as a reminder to these guys that the Messiah is, is the Messiah is coming. And we can trust him. He's going to build the temple. He's got it all taken care of. And when we participate in communicating the gospel, there's so much joy in that. Joy comes from anticipation. Uh, not necessarily the havings, but the wantings, the great desire. We, we enjoy anticipating the redemption of our bodies, the full and complete salvation. And then, of course, ultimately, joy comes from realization. I mean, when it's all completely realized in our experience, uh, we will be joyful forever. God made us for ecstasy. 
And it's not a shortcut to it, not a street drug named ecstasy, you know, not drunkenness, not sinful paths to, to joy, but he made us to, to be fully, completely joyful in him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this interesting command you gave to Zechariah to go and take that money. Lord, would we, first of all, just have a loose grip on what you've given us, that you would take it and use it, that we'd hear like those guys did in the streets of, of Jerusalem, the Lord has need of it. Lord, if you need anything, you take it from us, please, and do anything you want with it. And, and Lord, our, our joy is in participation, but our joy is in, in anticipation of your full glory when every knee will bow. And then, Lord, we do look forward to the full realization. We know all your promises are yes and amen. Certain. And we, we, we anticipate that with so much joy. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? We'll sing joy to the world and the benediction.